This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again with another episode of the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. Got an exciting guest today. He's uh, well-versed in all kinds of mobile home park uh, laws, regulations, processes. He's the head of the Illinois MHA. I've known him over the phone for years, and I met him recently in person at another conference. So it was nice to nice to connect. Please help me welcome my guest, Frank Bowman. Frank, welcome to the show, man. Hi, thanks for thanks for having me on today. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, uh, you've you've been kind enough to share your wisdom with me in the past, and I know with lots of other members of your your organization there. And I, as you know, I, I you worked in government for five years, and and you're you know you guys are kind of quasi government, but I always. I, I always joke, you know, you call somebody in the government and see if they answer their phone or not. And you're one of those guys, I call you, you answer your phone, you're working, right? You call you at four o'clock on a Friday, you're working. Um, a lot of guys, you call at 10 a.m. on a Friday and their assistant's like, ah, I think he stepped out. How's Monday? And so like, you're not one of those guys. So appreciate your hard work. Tell yeah. us about your background and uh, how you got into this, this position and in really this industry. Well, uh, sure. Happy to, Ferd. And uh, um, you know, my background is really construction and engineering. Um, you know, I was in the uh, commercial construction world for about 25 years. Um, I'm here in Springfield, uh, the Springfield area where we have a farm. Um, and, you know, when the economy kind of died off there, I was looking for something else to do. And I kind of ran across this, this organization. And I, actually, I should say they kind of ran across me. Uh, and we, we got together and, uh, you know, we sat down. And uh, I've been around construction and regulate, regulatory uh, environments for a long time because I also I also spent uh, well, about four years as a county planner uh, and ran the building and zoning department out in a, in a rural county out in Colorado. So you know I got a pretty well-rounded background with zoning, um, engineering. Uh, it's kind of a, a natural fit. But when they sat me down and they asked me, they said, "Well, what do you know about uh, manufactured housing?" I had to honestly ask them. I said, "What is it?" <laughs> it's, it's not. It wasn't my background. I'm not from the industry, but uh, I've learned. Uh, you know. Uh, over the last when we started about 2014. So it's been a year or two. Uh, and it does take a little while to learn all the ins and outs. You know, Illinois is kind of a strange animal, as you well know. It's uh, even though the, the HUD code housing is supposed to be uniform across all 50 states, you know, the regulations are not. Right. And, uh, um, you know, I get calls all the time from um, owners, um, new investors. You know, we're seeing a lot of new investment interest in Illinois. And um, I get a lot of questions, you know, people are trying to do their due diligence, they're trying to learn about uh, utilities, they're trying to learn about zoning, they're trying to learn about the, uh, um, the regulatory environment, you know, the, the, th the ever looming threat of rent control that uh, we're facing pretty much across the, the, the nation now. You know, the HUD installation standards, um, uh, you know, they're, they're the same in all 50 states, but we're seeing them being being enforced in Illinois and 13 other states. Uh, so those of you that, that operate in, in some states that may have, uh, a, a, let's say, lack enforcement, but they're just not 
they're just not following through with the, the letter of the law like they are here with the, the HUD 309 inspections. And, you know, it's just a lot of different things like that that kind of set Illinois apart, uh, for So, uh, you know, we, we kind of are the go-to place for that. Um, you know, they come to the association and if, if I don't know an answer, I can typically find an answer because our board of, uh, board of directors has amongst them, you know, close to a, a century of knowledge in the industry. And so, you know, we can usually find the answer to, to most questions. No, that's great. Yeah, you guys, you guys definitely been helpful. Uh, yeah, Illinois, it's a mixed bag. That's where I grew up and my, I still have property there, still parks there, have family members there. But I know when I, I sold one of my parks a year or two ago, I told the broker all the net numbers and all the data. And he's a broker out of Chicago that I was interviewing. And, and I, he's like, yeah, here's what I think it's worth. And I said, it's in this town in Illinois. He goes, oh. I have trouble selling deals in my own state because of the tax environment and the regulatory environment. Because Governor Pritzker, um, there's, there's not a tax he doesn't like. And he's he's raised, I don't know how many, now it's over, I think over 100 taxes went up on New Year's Day like a year ago. And that that made it a lot harder for me to sell the park. But overall, uh, Illinois is a nice place to live. You know, like nice small towns and nice, you know, um, you know, lots of nice places to live there. So we've, we've, we've done well there. But do you, do you get a lot of grief of that sort from out-of-state investors and owners? They say, oh, here we go. You know, I, I don't want in because when I was trying to sell that park, the broker told me I got to knock 90% of my buyers off the list. Now, that was about two years ago. So maybe now the industry's gotten so much hotter that more people are looking at Illinois. But it was kind of disappointing to hear right out of the gate that a lot of people just won't even touch Illinois. And I, and I have done well in Illinois. Well, and there's a lot of there's a lot of longtime owners who are selling their parks in Illinois for that for that very reason. But uh, um, you know, the the pricing is attractive. Uh, uh, I see most of the phone calls are coming from um, Colorado. I mean, and and um, uh, California, um, Maryland. You know, we see folks coming in from the coasts, really, where you know uh, the the cost per pad, if you will, is so extraordinarily high. When they run across a park for sale in Illinois, it seems like a value, yeah, bargain to them. So you know, a lot <laughs> of them are. I, I get the calls. I say, you know, they say, "Hi, I'm from California, and I'm looking to buy my first Illinois park." And I go, "Oh boy, yeah, <laughs> you know, um, because it is. It's a learning experience. You know, they they, and they call with all the questions, which is what we're here for to help answer those questions." So, yeah, but we, we've been seeing a lot of that, um, you know, all the, almost all the, and this is not just Illinois, but all the, uh, let's call them uh, institutional or investment grade communities have pretty much been acquired um, by the bigger operators. Um, we're seeing guys coming in now looking at 50, 60 pad sites uh, from out of state, you know, and, and those kind of, as you know, those kind of parks are, are kind of hard to manage from a distance. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's just a lot, a lot to learn. Um, you know, some of the biggest questions we're seeing now, nowadays for it is um, infrastructure and utilities, uh, utility billings. You know, our governor just keeps perpetuating this eviction moratorium along, right. with, along with his, um, um, uh, the federal government, you know, they, uh, they just kind of, they're in lockstep. Yeah. So the feds ex extend it, he extends it. And he extends it every every month on a Friday afternoon late so that it misses the news cycle. I mean, they know, know, they know what they're doing. It's, 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 it's funny he does it. It's like, here, you're going to do it today at 6 o'clock. And well, one thing I didn't like about Illinois evictions, too, is it wasn't just for CDC. 
you know, guidelines and it wasn't just for non-payment you know, items. It was, it was, they had, they was like, nope, you can't be evicted for anything. I mean, you could, you could drive down the park and shoot people. And they would, they was, they had restrictions on that for a while. Well, you're supposed to, but uh, you know, that, that, that's in there, but you, you can't find a county sheriff because that's actually in the bill that the sheriff will not evict anybody. So it's, it's kind of a funny situation. We're hoping that that resolves itself soon. But, you know, the, the manufactured home communities are, are doing a lot better than the people I talk to in the apartment business or the, uh, the single family housing business, sure. um, you know, because uh, a lot of these people own their homes. So they're, they're trying harder to make, make the rent payments. Absolutely. And that's one of the, that's one of the keys of the asset class, right? Is you've got some, you got a stakeholder with your tenant, right? It's like, they want, they want to be there. You want them to be there. It's a win-win versus apartment. I want to be here. Oh, I don't have to pay. I don't care. Um, I'll, I'll just wait it out. What are you going to do? Are you going to kick me out two years from now versus yeah. a homeowner? What are you going to do two years from now? I'm going to lean your house. Oh, you have nowhere else to go. Right. So it's right. more locked up. Well, and that's, that's kind of, obviously that's, that's something that's industry-wide all States for the most part evictions for the most part, you know, the stickiness of tenant owned homes. What are some things in Illinois that if you're trying to generate business, I know you're not in the economic development department, but if you were like, what, what is the, what are some of the things that makes Illinois better? And then what are some of the key ones that maybe makes it worse? Well, you know, in certain parts of Illinois, there, there are jobs. So for, from a, from community operator standpoint, um, you, you find uh, workforce that needs to the, the housing that you provide. So, so there's a, there's a definite need. Uh, in certain areas, um, you start getting into you know the southern parts of the state, and the land home deal for retailers is is uh, really that that's their niche, because you, there aren't people who build homes anymore. There's just a lack of tradesmen out there. Right. So um, you know all the retirees coming out of um, the cities uh, that are moving to the southern parts of the state. Um, you know most of them are getting. Um, Manufacturer modular homes, factory built homes. Talked to a few today that are, you know, looking for installers. You know, uh, <laughs> they've got a home coming, and one guy today, his installation crew came down with COVID, so he's got the home being delivered, and he doesn't have a crew, so he's like scrounging to try to find somebody to fill in. Wow! So it's an interesting time, but uh, um, as but as you know, growing up in Illinois, it's a, it's a it's a very wholesome place. It's a uh, you know most of the state is. Um, you don't have to worry about getting shot at in drive-by shootings. I mean, there are pockets, you know, like sure. Chicago, but we're we're so far removed from Chicago for the most part that, uh, uh, you know, there's a there's a, quality, a lot of quality of life issues that are pretty good. <laughs> I remember one of my high school football teammates. He had some rental houses, and he he was mad because somebody stole his truck. And we're like, well, "Where was your truck?" He's like, "Well, was, his parents live on a busy street." He was, "I was sitting in my parents. It was in my parents' driveway. I had the keys in it." And I have my rental keys on the seat. So now I got to go change all the locks on my houses because they got the addresses on all of them. But it was, it was, it was a surprise that someone in this town stole your vehicle. Like, oh, yeah. you know, where I grew up in, or I grew up in Illinois, but I went to college in Kansas city and went in, in a rougher neighborhood. This Jesuit school is in a rough neighborhood. You wouldn't think twice about not locking your car or locking your door. But back in Quincy, it was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think our, my parents locked their front door for years. I mean, just, that's just the way it was. So it was, it was a nice place to grow up, right? Nice place for, you know, affordable housing in a lot of places. If you're right, if there's the jobs and that down, the further downstate you get, the tougher it is for employment typically. And it, but there are pockets and, and there are you know, areas that are trying to grow. Uh, one of the issues that we've been working with um, some, some mayors and city councils on are, uh, 
uh, discriminatory zoning practices, um, trying to allow uh, manufactured and modular homes to compete uh, in their in their cities for particularly um, urban redevelopment. You know, um, the, the narrow urban lots that they're, they're striving to get homes uh, on these lots for to house the workers that they're trying to attract. And yet they have no builders who are willing to, to build for that 150,000 and under price tag. Well, right. we own that space, you know, but they have they have uh, ordinances prohibiting what they call in a lot of cases relocatable housing from coming in. Uh, so, you know, wow. we're working on that um, uh, as as are most states right now trying to uh, to, to, to work uh, through some of that that old stigma. You know, that's still still that baggage that we the, that the industry still carries around with it. Um, so that and trying to really push uh, the greenfield developments, the new the new communities. You know, are you having any are you having any luck on new communities? I mean, I know it's the places you want to build or the places that won't let you, and the places that don't care are the places you don't want to build. This is kind actually, of how I've actually, been you have a lot of luck. Um, I actually helped get two brand new communities through uh, county planning commissions Excellent. Uh, with unanimous approvals in the past year, year and a half um, now. But when it got to the elected city count, city board or the county board and the NIMBYs came out of the woodwork, the elected officials shot them both down. Even though the planning commissions recognized we need this in our community. Yeah. You know, uh, that's, that's real tough pressure to overcome. Um, I just, yeah, I just got approval for uh, an expansion of a park in Illinois, but I kind of got somewhat lucky that it was in the county and not in the city, and this county had no zoning code. So I was able to develop it in that county, but I was a, I was literally on the city boundary, so I was able to get city water, city sewer, I had to go through the state to get my stormwater permit and my sanitary permit, which is still kind of a pain. But at least it got rid of the political nature of it. It was just the bureaucracy um, without having to go through the county commissioners or any sort of other agency like that. So I know that that can be a regulatory hurdle. What yeah. other what what role do, what other role do you play in organizations like you in the regulatory game, and or what what kind of tips or tricks can you give our audience for navigating that? I mean, obviously going through development approvals is a whole other skill set and regulatory process. But just in general with you know, whether you're submetering your water, whether you're bringing in HUD sets. I know you and I talked previously about uh, soil composition for purposes of whether or not, you know, you should even, you know, consider using pier pads versus concrete piers or runners. Because in most states, the, you know, used homes are not really regulated by HUD. Or they're, they're really supposed to be, but they're, there's no inspection mechanism versus like where I'm in Missouri, they, they inspect new homes. They, they, the state tells you, we don't even look at used homes. So, do what you want, but you're not supposed to, but do what you want. Well, and, and that's true. But uh, uh, even here in Illinois, there's a lot, uh, you know, everybody's looking for youth homes for that very reason, because, you know, they, they think they can get away with something and, and, and maybe they can, maybe they can't. Um, you know, then a lot of that's because the local building officials aren't paying attention either, not just the state, but the local building officials. Um, but, uh, you know, you talk about infrastructure, you know, and again, this is a nationwide issue where most of these parks are now 60, 70 years old and the infrastructure won't last forever. You know, so we're starting to see some issues crop up there um, with, you know, replacement of, of infrastructure. 
um, a lot of you know private wells on, on a lot of these these rural properties. You know, people people want a submeter because the wells only have a finite amount of water in them, and you got residents that leave their hoses running, you know, all the time. Yeah. Uh, well doesn't last very long won't last all summer especially as it's drying up and we're seeing a lot of that now out west right those are just drying up uh, there are no alternatives so when you have city water and city, city utilities that's a really a benefit uh, that we can see absolutely um, you know the hud set uh is a hud set these are system built homes you know you're you're supposed to put in a, a foundation that works with the system as designed and approved by the manufacturer and that's really all hud's looking for you know, but you alluded to the soils and soils is a, a, a science really that uh, most, most community operators don't pay enough attention to because the soil is the, is the thing that underlies your real estate investment. And with, um, with bad soils, you, you know, your costs go through the roof. We, um, uh, there was one, one operator that came in from out of state um, bought a few communities but one of them they bought was in an area where the soil was actually classified as muck wow by, by from an engineering standpoint and and yet it is a community that had successfully held homes albeit lighter homes for you know 60 70 years um but when they asked me to look at the real estate or the soils with them we did it's it's fairly simple to do you usda maintains a website where you can you can do a quick check uh, to see what you're getting involved in. Um, but they couldn't support anything on that site without significant engineering. So bringing in new homes and heavier homes with drywall and, and, and shingle roofs was out of, out of the question for that community. So, you know. That's something that's crazy. I mean, that's something you don't see on your, your average due diligence list is look at the soil. I had not thought of it. Um, so you, you, you were one ahead of me, but I mean, when you look at used homes, um, if you, we talk, just to clarify for the audience, you know, uh, on a new home on a HUD set, typically you're going to have either a concrete uh, perimeter or, or concrete uh, kind of um, I'm blank on the name, not runners, not piers, um, pad. You can do those. They're, so they're you, can, you can do you can do runners or pads or piers. But I'm obviously going to pad. Typically have a pad, or you have runners running the length of the I beams underneath them, or you have concrete piers, which are typically two feet wide by two feet wide by anywhere from 32 inches to. Or depending on the frost line, right? Right, yeah. on the frost line. But on used homes, they say, "Well, you don't have to do that." As if a used home is not going to be impacted by the frost line. So what a lot of people do is they just put them on these little pier pads, which are just basically yeah. four-inch thick plastic boxes, and they're cheap, right? Compared to drilling concrete and putting in three three thousand dollars of concrete for a home. So it's those can work. Then those, and you know, some professionals do use those all the time. So like they must work. But you made the good point that well, it depends on your your soil. You know, and um, if you got bad soil, that home's going to shift a ton. Or that home's going to sink, and you know, that's where the that's where the that's where the proper infrastructure, the concrete works, or that's where you may not even be able to put any home at all. So I think that's gets a, a good point to you know just kind of add that into the decision hopper. Well, freeze thaw is a big problem all across Illinois, but you can get into places like northern Michigan that are where there's sandy soils that aren't are not frost susceptible, and you can do that directly on the soil. But you know, you get in the northern Illinois area where they've got frost of forty inches deep, and you're gonna either you're gonna have to stop that frost movement somehow to keep the home from moving, you know, as the ground freezes. Um, you know, and, and a lot of a lot of those resident cause problems with uh, we're talking about soils is soil moisture. You know, they put in landscape beds 
or, or something that traps the moisture underneath the home, right? These homes are designed to be dry underneath, but yet right. they do something that holds the water underneath there and then it freezes and buckles and, and something pops or, you know, some of them go, oh yeah, I got to, you get under and loosen those tie down straps every winter before, before it starts freezing. Wow. And, then their doors don't close right or their windows. That's the biggest, that's the biggest complaint we get, even on homes that are properly set. It's like the door moves. And we've called, we call the installer, get your butt back out here. You didn't put it on right. And he says, call me in six months. And the, the residents pissed like, no, I just bought this house two days ago. The door doesn't shut. Right. And we call the installer, call, we asked a different guy. We, we this lady hired a third party on her nickel. And she's like, get out here and fix his door. And the guy said, call me in six months because the first six months the house is moving around i was like they don't really disclose that very well i you know very well that that's how it works sometimes and yeah. um people yeah i get it your door doesn't close straight it's a brand new house you're mad it's like the home's gonna settle on that earth that earth has not had six thousand pounds sitting right there for a while that's exactly right yeah and that's uh, uh you know one of the reasons that the the hud code is 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 the hud code you know it's the way it and the manufacturers devise the foundations, um, you know. So even talking with the engineers at the manufacturing plants, um, when I asked them, I said, well, so you've, you've got a used home, you know, one that uh, the uh, installation manual is missing, right? Nobody knows where it is. And, uh, you know, the old ones, there's no library of those anymore since Minnesota pulled them down. What do you do? You know, he said, they say, just use a current manual. It's the same. You know, the, the requirements from the manufacturers are, are still the same, new or used. Um, right. And that, that's, that's what's always baffling to me is it's like, oh, it's this home has been somebody else bought it two years ago. Now I'm moving. It. I don't have to set it up right. Like, it's like if it's if it doesn't work, if it works for one, it works for the other. But I mean, but I get why people want to do used homes and want to do used setup. It's because of cost, because there's, there's a limited number of people who are competent to put in uh, concrete HUD, HUD conditions. And there's a limited number of people who are licensed to install them. And they know that. And guess what the price is? I mean, if, if I was one of three lawyers in the country, you think my hourly rate would be the same? No, it'd be higher, a lot higher, right? So in the Kansas City Metro, there are three guys that are installing a thousand homes this year. Guess what the price is? It's higher. And it's a dirty, it's a dirty job. It's a hard job. It's, well, it's five it's degrees. It's 105 degrees. It's, tough. it's hard to attract new, uh, new people into the industry. You know, yeah. young people these days, I mean, they, they could they could write their own paychecks. There's enough work out there that, you know, they could as hard as they want to work, they can make as much money as they want. But uh, there, therein lies the rub. You know, it's hard to get young people um, who want to come out and do that. Well, kind of just I mean, this, and we see that a lot with, you know, labor jobs and even even skilled labor like electricians, plumbers, the young people don't want to do it. And the concrete guy I use here. I, he's got a good good crew and they're always on time and they're polite. They don't take smoke breaks and they're swinging the sledge, knocking those concrete floors. They're working hard all the time. I said, how do you find such good crews? He said, I, I starting pays $25 an hour. I said, for an unskilled guy straight out of jail, you know, $25 an hour is a lot of money, but he yeah. gets, he, so they, he's like, you got to work hard. He goes, I, I burn through guys, but the ones that stick around, they know they can't get $25 an hour at McDonald's. And they can't get a job as an accountant or an engineer, and they're not skilled labor like an electrician or a carpenter. So swinging a hammer for twenty five dollar an hour gives you big muscles, tough on your back, but it's good money, you know. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. So, 
and you can they can make money but it's hard to get them to attract you know to attract them in here so and you know we're trying to work with uh, some of the community college uh, trade programs to at least come in and expose them to that maybe this is a an op option you know that's available to you out there um, to, to look at maybe home installation as a part of what you do going forward coming out of these trade programs that's a great that's a great option that's a great idea i mean yeah. yeah, we used to work on some stuff with junior colleges, trying to get them to take on, you know, even just create skilled factory laborers, you know, learn how to use the machines and robots. Like that's, that was the big, I used to be in economic development here in Jackson County. And that was the biggest rub employers had was skilled workplace, skilled yeah. workforce. Like we, we need people who can do $20 jobs. Everybody wants a $50 job, but has a $10 skill set. Otherwise there's a disconnect, right? We need somebody that, you know, wants to work. Absolutely. And, uh, um, you know, the, and you, you mentioned briefly early on about abandoned homes. You know, that's that's always another issue. And really, the reason they come abandoned is because the, um, the, the the management of the community has failed to do their paperwork. You know, they failed to track ownership and, and it just gets away from them. So, you know, a lot of folks are coming in and buying these older communities now and trying to clean them up and they can't prove possession for these homes. So, you know, one of the, that's one of the topics we're going to talk about at our annual conference coming up for is, um, you know, we're going to talk about installations, you know, what's up with installations. We're going to talk about abandoned homes. We're going to talk about the uh, unique, uh, if you will, uh, lease requirements in Illinois. Um, we've got a, an attorney going to join us to talk about that. We're going to talk about the current status of evictions. Um, we're we're going to Talk about water utilities, utility billing, uh, and infrastructure improvements. You know, we're kind of all the things that we've been talking about. We're going to touch on it at our annual meeting. So it, it, it'll be a on September 16 in Oak Brook, Illinois. Uh, it'll be a great opportunity not only to meet others in the industry, but to get your questions answered, especially if you're a new investor coming into Illinois um, or looking at Illinois as a, as a, as a possibility. Uh, be a great place to get get the best information, the most current information available. That sounds that sounds good. I, I like I told you earlier. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to make it either. Maybe if I can't get it there, maybe I'll get my dad over there. He I know he went to the last one. Mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't make it, but um, said it was a great program, and we get we get your emails on a regular basis. I even opened some of them, and you you, <laughs> you can verify. You'll call me out on it because you track that stuff. But uh, uh, definitely, Illinois has been good. We still we own four or five parks in Illinois right now. So we and if I've sold three or four in Illinois. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's generally a little easier to get in than other states because there's some people don't want to do it. It's harder to get out, um, but oh, if you're going to buy and hold, I've, I've had good luck there. Um, is the key is finding you know places that have the good workforce jobs because yep. otherwise you, you know really for laborers. I mean, we had that park in Southern Illinois, and I went through probably 20 contractors. Even general contractors didn't want to work. They'd come bid you. They'd say, I'll bid. They'll take measurements. So we'll give you 10 houses in a row. If you, you know, give us a reasonable bid. They, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I got three crews. I got this. No bid. Never, never call back. Just ghost us. Next guy, same thing. Next guy, same thing. next guy works two days and disappears. Next guy works a week, steal, steals your supplies and never comes back. I, we had a heck of a time, but, it, but that just was one town. Other oh, towns, yeah. not as big a problem. So. I've been trying to find a plumber and I can't even get him to return my phone calls. <laughs> I mean, you it's, know. it's crazy, isn't it? It's, it's some crazy times, but yeah. Uh, yeah, but you know, that's pretty much what we do in Illinois. Um, all the state associations give a plug for, for the state associations, no matter what state you're in, 
uh, we all basically do the same kind of work. The, uh, the regulatory environment, the, uh, um, you know, we're, we're staying in, in real close contact with all the key legislators and key regulators that, uh, that, that monitor this industry. Um, and, you know, we, we participate in the legislative process. Uh, one of the things that we have a very strong um, program here in Illinois is with our PAC. Uh, you know, the, the I am the political action committee, uh, because you have to participate and and, yeah. and uh, that means, you know, the PAC channels campaign contributions to um, to legislators and uh, and, uh, and city officials on an as needed kind of basis to to protect your investments. You know, it's really it's like an insurance policy for underlying your 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 investments in, in, in whatever state you're in. Um, but it's a very important part of what the, what the association does for you, their legislative agenda, on top uh, of all the regulations. No, I agree. Watching the legislation, I know you guys are actively involved, and they had a lot to do with modifying the Bain and Housing Act a couple of years ago and all that. It's it's a little, as a business owner, it's a little annoying that the PAC is necessary. Like, why do we need the money to give to politicians to get them to listen to our issues? It's like, but that's, unfortunately, that's Chicago politics. That's how it is. I mean, but you're, you do a great job, Frank. You're giving too much credit to your peers in other states when you say we all do the same thing because I'm a member of like 17 states and I'll tell you about a dozen of them, all they do is have a golf tournament once a year. So you're, you're doing above and beyond and I appreciate it. Well, happy, to, happy to be able to help out when we can. All right. all right. Thanks, Frank. Appreciate it. Where can people re reach out to you? Email or website? They can find you and yeah, find your conference. The, the website, uh, imha.org, uh, will take you everywhere. Uh, it'll get you to the contact forms. It'll, it'll get you most of the information you need. You know, we, keep, we do keep a very um, significant library of resources for community owners and retailers um, behind the members-only firewall, firewall. You know, you can't give everything away for free. So, <laughs> you know, I, I know, I know, I, I know. That's, I, I'm the same way. But uh, you got, your fees are reasonable, though. What is it, 150 bucks or a couple hundred bucks to be a member? Yeah, communities start off at 195, yeah. uh, and, but they're, they're scalable. Yeah. You know, so you look to the bigger operators to help shoulder a bigger part of the burden. Sure. Uh, for professionals, uh, contractors, uh, professionals like yourself, um, suppliers, uh, flat, flat fee of 365 a year. It's cheaper than a yellow page ad, and it's going to get you a lot further, too. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's been great. All right, Frank. I am at I am IHMA. No, I am. I am. I am HA. I am HA. I should know that. IMHA. I see it all the time. IMHA.org. All right. All right, Frank. Thanks again. You bet. Thank you for it. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.